topic today, uh, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the local church. We understand that the church is universal, um, invisible, which is the, the believers everywhere on the entire planet makes up the church universal, right? But the visible expression of the universal church is the local church. And Faith Bible Church is one amongst many um, faithful churches uh, in the world. We're thankful to be uh, an assembly that God has put together um, in this particular community so that we'd be a, a light to the world together. And so we are honing in once again on the purpose of the local church today. This is part two of two. And so um, just by the way, next week we're going to do our kind of final church thing, uh, a one-off on church membership matters. I promise it's just going to be one sermon. Uh, church membership matters, okay? So that's where all this is going. And then we're going to start the following Sunday on First Thessalonians, okay? So the purpose of the local church, we want to know what, what the Bible says about it. Because everybody just, there's so many ideas and opinions and man's wisdom and thinking and ways and so, again, uh, we want to know what, what God says the purpose of the local church is and go by that. And it does tell us that the local church exists for God and for his glory, as we went over last Sunday. The primary overarching purpose of the church is to display the glory of God in everything that it does. And so we went even over all the elements of our service last Sunday, right, which was our meant to give praise and worship and exaltation to God. So we started that fantastic four of God's purposes last Sunday, that first one, exaltation, right, worship of God. And so Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, I'm not going to just go over the entire thing again, but we're reminded of a few things there, right, which says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day draws near. Okay, that is, that is kind of a, a very key text as far as um, worship and exaltation and what our preparations are for service. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me. In vain. So um, just note there that, that Jesus uh, doesn't say it's wrong to worship him. If you're not God, it would be wrong to worship you. But Jesus is saying that these people with their lips are saying that they worship me, but their heart is far away from me. They're not actually So there's such a thing as false worship. Right? So we cannot honor God if our heart is far from him. Okay, John Piper says this, Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. This cannot be done by mere acts of duty. Okay, just dutifully coming to church is not what it's all about, right? Piper says, Worship can be done only when genuine, spontaneous affections arise in the heart, end quote. And I think that's helpful for our understanding of, of worship. So we look forward to this day because we get to do this uh, corporately, right, um, as a church body. And we understand that worship is not only for Sundays, but it is a special time that we set apart in our week 
and the first thing on the first and best day of the week to be together and uh, do this um, together. All right? So before we get to the rest of the Fantastic Four, let me just share with you two common views of the purpose of the local church. Okay? Or these are two perspectives on, on what some people and pastors say that should be the, the primary purposes of, of the church. Okay, so the first one is this. The local church exists for evangelism. Okay, the local church exists for evangelism. Um, so in this view, the primary purpose of the church is to draw unbelievers, okay, unchurched people, to the Christian faith. So evangelistic in purpose, that's, that's what this view is saying. And just by the way, this is the heart of the seeker-sensitive church, the seeker-friendly movement that was initiated by Bill Hybels uh, over there in Illinois, I believe, and Rick Warren out here in California. Uh, the Purpose Driven Church, which was Rick Warren's uh, most famous book, and it was and it continues to be a huge influence that showcased this approach uh, to ministry. Um, it would purport that because reaching the lost is the ultimate purpose of the church, everything that the church does, from preaching to worship, the design of the building, the room temperature of the service, should be determined by the perceived needs and desires of the unchurched, of unbelievers. We, we need to do anything and everything we can to make church a place where people who don't want to come to church would feel welcome and comfortable. To quote Rick Warren, he says, Once you know your target, which is unbelievers, it will determine many of the components of your seeker service. The music style, message topics, creative arts, and more. Okay, this view insists that the more we learn to think like unbelievers, the better we'll, be, we'll do in drawing them to church and from the church to Jesus Christ. Rick Warren says, It is my deep conviction that anybody can be one to Christ if you discover the, the key to his or her heart. The most likely place to start is with the person's felt needs. End quote. Okay, so Faith Bible Church, is this true? Is the primary purpose of the church evangelism? Let me put a pause on that, because I want to get to the second common view of what people say, pastors say, is the purpose of the church. The second view says that the local church exists for discipleship. The local church exists for discipleship. According to this view, the purpose of the church is to serve the needs of Christians, people who are already saved, um, many people who are against the seeker-sensitive church movement, they, they would say this, right? The church exists for discipleship, not for just evangelism. So it exists to teach and serve and strengthen Christians. So they claim that instead of putting all its energy into evangelism, the church should put all its energy into discipleship and doctrine. Instead of making decisions based on the preferences of unbelievers, the church should make decisions, ministry decisions, based on the preferences of Christians. So building up the body of Christ becomes the ultimate purpose of the local church. Okay, so is that true, Faith Bible Church? Well, there's, there's um, errors in both of the views if you're saying that that's the only purpose. Okay? There's, there's, it, it, both of these views are, are problematic. And so the first view which says that the local church exists for seekers, for unbelievers, assumes that unbelievers know what they need the most. It assumes that their unbelievers' spiritual desires are genuine 
and that by following them that they will arrive at truth and salvation. Okay? And although it's true that Jesus did pay attention to the needs of unbelievers all around him, right, the crowds of people that were following him, he did help them, he did feed them, he did physical healings, he did serve them, um, but Jesus was more sure to point out their spiritual need, which they didn't recognize. They did not recognize their need for the Savior. And so their seeking, as they were following Jesus, was ultimately self-centered. It was, it was about themselves. And according to Jesus, it led to even greater condemnation for them. And so that's why in John chapter 6, after he feeds the 5,000, right, the miracle of, of the bread and the fish, uh, they, they're all following after him, they're coming after him. He says, you're coming after me for the wrong reasons. It's just to have your physical needs and desires met. And you don't understand that I am the bread of life who offers you eternal life if you would repent of your sin and trust in me alone. And after that, what happened, dear, dear Faith Bible Church people? Like, the majority of them left. Okay, this is John chapter 6. They, they left. And so, as I mentioned last Sunday, that first view emphasizes the needs and desires of unbelievers. So, it inevitably causes the church to become like the world. As the church adapts to the world, in order to win the world, it ends up looking like the world. And so we have all these uh, problems both in theology, in doctrine, and also methodology. Okay? And uh, we're seeing that uh, at Rick Warren is retired now, but now he has a man and woman serving together as a pastor of Saddleback Church. And all these just uh, entertainment and all this kind of stuff that's going on there. So, um, by the way, as I say that, you know, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, okay? Um, the good things that we can learn from the, this, you know, this different approach, uh, we want to take those, okay? Uh, we want to keep the flowers and throw away the weeds, right? So anyway, the second view, that the local church exists for the needs of Christians, it might be a little closer to the priorities of the Bible, but there's still problems with it. Um, if you think about it, that view just kind of repackages the consumerism of the seeker-sensitive movement with a new target. Okay, the different target is believers, right? For the church growth, seeker-sensitive movement, it's unbelievers as the main target. Um, but for this one, the main target is Christians. And so we could be tempted to base everything perceived on the based needs of, of Christians. So that becomes the ultimate determining factor for everything the church does. Okay? To, to quote the theologian Carl Truman, he says, when church is just one more product to buy or leave on the shelf, then marketing and not theology become the driving forces in the church's life. End quote. Okay? It's just like pick and choose, and you're, you're basing your, your methodology on felt needs again. So the error in this perspective would be an overemphasis on meeting the needs and desires of Christians alone. This can lead a church to neglecting the Great Commission and sap the church's zeal for reaching unbelievers. Okay, churches that hold this view aim to make their focus faithfulness or discipleship, but this is sometimes just a cover-up for lack of evangelism. Another pastor noted, without the mission, okay, evangelism, a church is not a church. 
It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out, end quote. And so I hope we see the danger here, um, potentially, is having a, a head full of knowledge, right, without a heart for the lost. And that would be problematic with the second view that some people purport. So what does the Bible say about the purpose of the local church, dear people? Right? It's not either or. It's not just one or the other. Uh, we want, uh, the answer is both and. Okay? It, is, it is edification and equipping, and it is evangelism. Okay? Under the primary purpose of, of worship and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I hope we see the difference here. When we understand the local church exists, by God and for God, and it's all to the glory of God, um, we see that God's glory and not the needs of unsaved or saved people that is the ultimate determining factor for everything that we do. And we try to strike that balance here at Faith Bible Church, and um, just let me let you know, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Okay? No one church gets it right gets it all perfect, and everything uh, is, is just perfectly according to God's word. Okay, it's like the old saying goes, uh, if you ever find a perfect church, uh, don't go to it, because uh, you're going to ruin it, right? <laughs> and the same goes for you as it goes for me. Um, there's no such thing as a, a perfect church. We're all imperfect people. I'm an imperfect pastor. We have imperfect church members. Um, but the beauty is that we have a perfect Savior, Right? And we're all supposed to be growing uh, towards Christ-likeness together and helping each other in that. Okay, So let's go on to the uh, rest of these fantastic fours of the purpose of the local church. And you know what? Number two and three sort of overlap. If you look in your bulletin, we have an outline there. And we could have put kind of two and three together, which is edification and, for lack of a better word, equipmentation is what I called it. Okay, So equipping. So edification and equipmentation, uh, Joe, you can put both of those up uh, at the same time because there, there's quite an overlap between these two. And so um, I'll explain. The, the local church does exist to glorify God by edifying and equipping his people, right? And then we're going to get to the last one, which is evangelizing the lost. But uh, the body of Christ, the church, gathers to enjoy real, true Christian fellowship, to live the Christian life together. We walk with the Lord in community. Okay, so we're supposed to be a walking, working body okay, that edifies one another and is equipped to serve. Um, this is more than coffee and donuts and idle chit-chat. Okay? And um, I love me some coffee and donuts, by the way. But, uh, and, and so it's part of our, our life together, right? Just um, fellowshipping and socializing. But real fellowship and edification is life-on-life, soul-on-soul ministry. We are spiritually to build up one another. Right? You can think of it this way, dear Faith Bible Church. We're in this building project together. What are we building? The body of Christ, right? The church. So um, you might think of it as a bodybuilding project spiritual muscles rather than physical muscles. So God's word tells us to be that body that sanctifies and disciples and spiritually grows one another. There's many ways and methods and approaches to do this, not just one way. Uh, Discipleship doesn't have to be a program. 
It can be as simple as intentionally being an edifying influence in the spiritual life of another person in a purposeful way. Okay? That's one definition of discipleship. Being an edifying influence in the spiritual life of another person in a purposeful way. Okay? And some people would add that it, 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 it's with measurable spiritual progress towards Christ-likeness. Okay, so that's a good understanding of what discipleship is. The point is that discipleship doesn't happen by itself. Okay? It has to be intentional, uh, but it doesn't have to be a program. So the key text, let's turn to your Bibles with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is good for both of these, both of these E's of our Fantastic Four, edification and equipmentation. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. I'm just going to read this passage and we'll highlight a few things. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, I'm going to read to verse 16. Uh, So, so helpful, guys, so please track with me. Uh, Paul uses some very long sentences here. Um, But, incredibly instructive. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he, who's he? If you look at the previous verses, it's Jesus, the Lord of the church. Jesus Christ. Verse 11, And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. What for? Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the what? Building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In verse 14, very important. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, Last verse 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow, what a great passage. And so um, verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So equipmentation comes from the first part of that verse, and the, the equip, um, edification comes from the last part of the verse, the building up of the body of Christ. That's what to edify means, okay? So let's focus for a moment on equipmentation, okay? Being a working body of believers first. The saints need to be equipped by the pastors, elders, leaders of the church. What we're calling equipmentation, the task of pastors and elders is not to do all the work of the ministry, but to prepare church members for service and ministry to others. And this is done mainly through preaching and the teaching of God's Word. Our sermons on Sunday, Sunday school teaching, Bible studies elsewhere, etc. Explaining what the Bible says. I love my job because it's so simple, at least a big part of my job, is to explain what the Bible says, right? Read the Bible, study the Bible, explain the Bible, and then help people apply 
it to life. Additionally, equipping may look like having men's groups, and that eventually leads out to the ladies doing their thing. Our evangelism classes or teaching teacher training or one-on-one discipleship or small group shepherding or any combination of any number of those things. It all depends on a particular each church's context and situation and circumstance. It might look different from church to church, but it needs to be happening. Equipping equipping needs to be happening. So whatever the case, um, it has to happen at the local church so that edification of the church can follow. And actually, even the process of edification, um, this this is where pastors and elders lead as well, shepherding people individually um, and in groups in their spiritual walks, helping them grow in Christ-likeness. Colossians 1, verse 28, it says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man, what? Complete in Christ, okay? growing in Christ-likeness. And so as this kind of equipping and edification happens, As spiritual character grows, people and church members are more able to serve the church in various ways. And church members help one another to grow in Christ. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, he says, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Titus 2 gives the pattern for for women's uh, discipleship. And the pattern in both places is that learning, dear people, is not just for yourself. Learning is not meant to be kept for you. We're not meant to be the Dead Sea of spiritual knowledge. We're supposed to be the River Jordan, okay? Waters uh, that are flowing out to others. That's the pattern of discipleship. So that's very important for us to grasp, okay? And so that leads us to verse uh, 13. As believers in the local church are being equipped and instructed from God's word, note that it is now every church member's responsibility to build up one another. This is the purpose of the church. He says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Every member is working to attain and to achieve unity. And listen to this. We already have unity in Christ, don't we, spiritually? Because we believe in one Lord. We have one faith. There's one gospel. We're all united in that. But it does take effort to continue to cultivate and develop and appropriate that unity that we already have in Christ. So the squabbles of immature saints are being worked on and worked out, and they need to be done in the form of discussion and confrontation sometimes. The issues of ministry and different personalities need to be discussed and prayed over, okay? not just bottled up and just, you know, not, not talked about. This is for the unity of the faith, okay? our common faith, which I read from Psalm 133 earlier, how precious and beloved it is for brothers to dwell in unity according to God. So we are all different. God gave diverse gifts, uh, as we read in Ephesians 4. We have different wirings, different personalities, and these are made to create and build up one body in unity of the Lord. 
Okay, um, verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians uh, chapter 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit. One body is talking about the church. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, as the song go- goes, we are one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. And that's not what the songwriter of that particular song was talking about. Um, but uh, the, 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 the point is the same. We get to carry each other. It's a privilege that we get to edify and serve one another. All of us are called to contribute to this bodybuilding project. And each one of us counts. Hey, Christ is the one who gave every member of his body gifts. And each one of us is to use those gifts for the benefit of others. That's how the body matures and grows strong. Verse 13 and 15. This is, we are to grow into a mature man, okay, not remain babies. We are to grow up in all aspects, all areas, into him who is the head, even Christ. So we're to be growing up, folks. There's, you know, when you first become a Christian, you're like a baby. You're like an infant, right? 25 years ago for me, I was an immature baby Christian. But eventually grew into a toddler, and then a child, and then like a, a teen, and then it's my 20s, right, spiritually, and into adulthood. Um, we're supposed to be growing spiritually all the way into the fullness of Christ. Uh, my time in seminary, serving with a bunch of uh, fellow pastors in training, uh, we started this group called Molded Men. And the, the motto for Molded Men was, your maturity is my responsibility. And your spiritual growth is, is my responsibility. So it, it was, the point was we were helping each other become molded, conformed into the image of Christ. And we took that, that privilege seriously. So that's what the church is supposed to do. Verse 15 and 16, there's a, oh, by the way, verse 14. Listen, folks. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. What, is, what does he mean by that? What does Paul mean we're not supposed to be children? Um, he means spiritually immature people who are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So he's saying don't be fooled by false teaching. Right? Uh, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Uh, the Bible over and over and over, and Jesus over and over and over, warns us of false prophets and false teachers. And he was, he was condemning the Pharisees because they were false religious leaders and teachers, leading people to hell rather than giving them the hope of heaven. And so that is very important, verse 14. But verse 15 and 16, more body life. It requires that everyone is speaking truth and speaking truth in love so that we can all grow up in all areas into Christ-likeness, the whole body being fitted and held together by the unity of the truth. So it's according to the proper working of each individual part. I'm going to talk a little bit more next week about how important every single member of the church is. But um, just it's mentioned here in Ephesians 4. And everybody working together, doing their thing, doing their part, this causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. And last, last little clause there in verse 16 says, in love. That's the ultimate mark of maturity in Christ, okay? that we are 
We are those who love God, love one another, and love the lost. Theologian Gene Getz, he says, The church is to become a mature organism through the process of edification so that it will become a dynamic witness to the world and so that it will honor and glorify God, end quote. Right? Isn't that true, dear church? And again, we're all striving at it. None of us have made it individually, and none of us have made it uh, as, a, as a church. But we're doing our best to be faithful witnesses for Christ. And so, you remember what Jesus said in John 13? After he washes their, the disciples' feet, and after he tells them, uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And he's talking about Christian love for each other, Christians loving each other. That's how the world is going to know that we are Jesus' disciples. So let's look briefly, um, speaking of one another, at some of the one another's of the New Testament. This could be a whole other sermon in of itself, but uh, super briefly, some of the one another's of the New Testament. And it's good to ask ourselves, um, how are we doing with these? Okay, specific to our church family. Okay, obviously, it applies to the universal church and believers everywhere. But I want you to think about our body life here at Faith Bible Church and how we're doing specifically in our context with one another here at the church. So loving one another, that's the first thing, right? That's specifically talking about to fellow Christians. Like when you read uh, the New Testament um, and, and it says to love one another, uh, it's specifically talking about within the church, the body of believers. So it's a constant battle to truly love one another that we're serving with and trying to minister with and live this life uh, walking with the Lord together with. And we, we see our sins and we, we see our personalities and we see just different ways of doing things and uh, disagreements that will come up. How are we doing with loving one another? And Romans twelve sixteen says, live in harmony with one another. Okay? Are we? Are we living in harmony, in peace with one another? Or are we letting little things bother us? Uh, letting little things bother us and not talk about them, they become big things because we haven't talked about them and we haven't prayed together about them. And we're letting emotions rule rather than the truth rule, right? That happens in every church, happens in every just life. But how are we doing living in harmony? That's a command, dear people, uh, to us. A command to live in peace and harmony with each other. Uh, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, verse 2. Okay, there's trials, right? Um, physical, just financial Practical needs, things that people are, are going through. Then there's temptations, which are more spiritual in nature, right? Spiritual needs and spiritual sin struggles, um, although trials can come in that form as well. Uh, bearing each other's burdens, serving one another. Okay, I'll just ask once more, if you're a member of Faith Bible Church, are you serving? Okay, how are you serving? And I want to encourage those who are serving, because there are faithful, diligent um, servers among us, uh, and I, I just... Praise the Lord that you are fulfilling um, the, the purpose of uh, our existence uh, together. Uh, encouraging one another. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Hebrews 3.13, and on and on. There's, there's, there's tons of them. But this is lifting one another's spirits, right? Blessing with a truth from God's word. Uh, being a faithful friend who's there to, to listen 
to provide counsel, okay, or just a, a shoulder to cry on. This is part of encouragement, comforting. Uh, there's also admonishing, Romans 15, verse 14, and Colossians 3, 16, admonishing one another, which also has a, a nuance of, of uh, encouragement and comfort, but mainly it's, it's to warn and to caution, okay, even to gently reprove a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Okay, um, just that one of the Greek words, it literally means to put sense into someone's head, right? Biblical truths in love, Ephesians 4.15, okay? Uh, J.C. Ryle, um, in his thoughts uh, for young men, uh, this applies to young and old men, but this is an example of an admonishment. He writes in there, do nothing that you would not like God to see. Say nothing that you would not like God to hear. Write nothing that you would not like God to read. Go no place where you would not like God to find you. Read no book and watch nothing of which you would not like God to say, show it to me, end quote. So you apply that to your past week and my past week. Um, Would we be comfortable with God being right there, with Jesus being right there? Uh, with what we're watching, what we're saying, what we're looking like, Jesus, let me show you what I'm, I'm looking at here on my phone. So that's an example of admonishment. So care for one another is another one, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Caring involves sharing, like I always said, right? Can't care if we don't share. Um, being patient with one another, Ephesians 4, verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. So being patient is more of a kind of restraining thing, right? And being kind is more of a proactive thing, right? Uh, Acting thing rather than responding. We respond with patience. We act with kindness. Okay, forgiving one another. Again, this requires sinful actions or words or attitudes to be talked about with one another. We need to ask for forgiveness if we've sinned. And if we've just, uh, we need to be on the receiving end of that and offer forgiveness for those who come to us. So we pray for one another, we confess our sins to one another, be humble toward each other, regard one I can give you all the verses, um, uh, but there's, there's all these one another's that are part of our edification. So I'll wrap this point up by saying uh, from author Tim Chester, it is in the family of God, the church of God, that I am able to care and be cared for, love and be loved, forgive and be forgiven, rebuke and be rebuked, encourage and be encouraged all of which is essential to the task of being a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus, end quote. So that's part of our purpose, folks, equipmentation, edification, and it leads to our last one, evangelization, evangelization, evangelism. Be a witnessing body that evangelizes the lost, a witnessing body that evangelizes the lost. We have four E's and four W's. I want to make it as simple and easy as possible for us to remember what our purpose here is, dear church. Okay, So um, there's a distinction between uh, evangelism and outreach, which uh, we'll probably get to, but let me just tell you, as a witnessing community, we're called to do both. Okay, Evangelize and reach out. So I think uh, Tim Challies is right, famous Christian blogger. Tim Challies, he writes, A healthy church is an evangelizing church. While church is first a gathering of God's people, it is also a gathering to which unbelievers are invited 
so they can hear the gospel and see it lived out by Christians. Churches that become insular rather than evangelistic will ultimately lose their love and their zeal and their vitality, end quote. I think he's right. And uh, the key text that we want to go to is Matthew 28. So why don't we turn there together? Matthew chapter 28. Some of you know this really well. Dear church, what is Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 called? Great. The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Jesus is commissioning uh, his disciples there. And by extension, this, this uh, applies to every Christian uh, from then on. So it's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it says, Jesus came up and spoke to them, his disciples, the 11 disciples there, they added the 12th after, um, and saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is Jesus' great commission to believers, to the church. Uh, Individual Christians who make up the local church were called and were commanded. He told us to do this. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a a command. He says, go and make disciples. Just to be clear... The main verb here is make disciples, right? And the other verbs are are supporting that. They're helpers to the main verb of make disciples. So going and baptizing and teaching informs how we are to make disciples. And so we make disciples initially by proclaiming the gospel, the good news how someone is saved from their sins, and it gives them the hope of eternal life. Okay? That's what making disciples means, to convert people to followers of Christ. A disciple means a follower, a learner, literally, a learner of Christ. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples. How are we supposed to make disciples? Proclaim the gospel. Tell the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to die for your sins. You can be forgiven by repenting and trusting him alone, no longer by your good works or your good intentions. They're not enough. They're never going to be enough. Jesus says, I'm the only way. I'm the only perfect person who laid down my life and sacrificed myself, bearing your sins upon my body on the cross so that you can be forgiven and freed from trying to work your way into heaven. Jesus says, I've done it. It's done. It's finished. Your debt has been paid. I paid the price. I died. I rose again. So if you just trust me, believe me on that word, you're going to be forgiven. Every sin committed, past, present, and future. You don't have to worry anymore. You're going to heaven based on who I am and what I've done for you. That's what Jesus says. And so that's how you make disciples initially. Everyone who believes in that becomes a disciple, a Christian of Jesus Christ. But then he says we're supposed to be going and doing that, whether it's in your neighborhood or next door or at work. Or across the globe, some are called to missionary work in Asia and Africa and China, all these different places in the world. Okay, but, but as we're making disciples, part of that is baptizing. Okay, we're supposed to baptize new believers. Okay, baptism is not for babies. 
Baptism is not for anybody who just says, okay, I'll, I'll be baptized. I want to become a member of the church. No, it's for those who have professed and confessed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And Jesus says you are to baptize them. And it's a public expression of what has happened, what God has done internally in the heart. And so that is what baptism is. And then we're supposed to continue to disciple believers by teaching them to observe, teaching them to do everything that Jesus commands, everything that the Bible says. And so that is what discipleship is. So I think that is known by some of us here, but uh, others don't even know what the Great Commission is, and that is a huge part of our purpose, right? So we should know that. Um, we are to be disciples who are making disciples, and I don't want us to lose verse 18, okay? Verse 18, after this pretty momentous and significant and important and critical and crucial command, um, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, some people think that, you know, Jesus only claimed to, to be God in the Gospel of John, and that's, that, you know, it's not in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But what kind of man says that all authority has been given to me in heaven, right, which is like the spiritual realm where God is, and on earth, this whole planet? Like, what kind of man can, can say that and be taken seriously if he's not actually God? Okay, um, the disciples should have run away from him if they didn't believe he was the Messiah, Savior, Lord of the universe, right? And so Jesus is the lover of our souls, yes and amen. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, yes and amen. But let us please not make Jesus out to be only this non-confrontational, meek, um, mild lamb. Okay, he is the Lion of Judah, He's the Lord of the universe. He's not only love, but he's the lawgiver. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I want to encourage you, dear saints, dear Faith Bible Church, Christians, when you think or you say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not made out for evangelism. I'm not made out to share the gospel. I don't have the power to evangelize. I don't have the people skills or whatever. Okay, remember that the Lord Jesus empowers and enables faithful Christians to do what he's commanded them to do. He has the authority, and he gives authority. Okay, we Christians have authority from him to bring good news of hope, of eternal life, to people who are headed toward hell. Our Lord Jesus uses the weak, weak people like me, for his power to be manifest and displayed in us and through us and even for us. Guys, when you evangelize people and that is part of your life, you are growing as a Christian. This is part of God's plan to grow you as a disciple. And so that's why we need to exhort and encourage one another to get after it, okay, to do everything we can to bring the good news to the lost. So, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though the, the world hates the gospel. They hate when, when you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, right? But we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Okay? It's not up to my powers of persuasion. 
It's not up to, uh, to my intellectual knowledge. It's not up to just how charismatic I am. Okay? We can't save anyone. I cannot save anyone. God saves people. But it is through weak vessels like you and I, just being faithful to, to tell people the truth, to love them in the truth. And so we want to take that to heart this morning. Acts 20, verse 24, right? Remember? That was our New Year sermon, right? For the year 2024, Acts 20, verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may complete, I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. And that's what we want to do. The rest of the verse is escaping me right now. (laughs) It's very important. But he says there in Acts 20, verse 24, which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God, the very point of what I'm talking about, right? To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, um, listen, why is the gospel of grace so offensive to the self-righteous person? Why is the gospel of grace so offensive to the self-righteous person? It's because grace takes the glory away from man and gives it all to God. People who think that they can make it to heaven based on their own goodness, um, (laughs) the glory belongs to them and not to God, right? And so that's another reason why God is the only one worthy of complete worship and devotion and honor and adoration because he is the one who saves. SDG, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. So there's a lot more to say, but we're out of time, um, which is always what the preacher says when he runs out of notes. But (laughs) uh, the the question I want to leave you with and that we want to ask ourselves, okay, um, first of all, if you're not saved, if you're not a believer in Christ, what is your purpose in this life that God has given you? Your purpose, whether you know it or not or believe it or not, is to glorify the God who gave you life, and he offers you the gift of eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And then a good question for us who are Christians, those who have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, is what is your purpose in this new life that God has given you? And what is your part? Are you pulling your weight in the church to edify and equip and to evangelize? A reminder, doing all of these, none, none of doing the, any of these things that I've spoken about this morning, doing those things is not what saves you. Okay, but, but being saved uh, compels you to do those things. Okay, doing those things is proof, is evidence that you are saved. So we need to understand that about the gospel. So God intends for his people to live out the faith and experience of the Christian life and love with each other in the local church and to go out and proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for making our purpose clear, again, both individually as people and together as a church body, this beautiful organism that you have created, which Jesus, you said, 
you are going to build your church and not even the gates of hell will be able to overcome it. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for the promise in evangelism that you are going to be with us. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, what a precious promise that is, an encouragement uh, for us, a comfort to us as we try to be bold and share the gospel with, with our neighbors. Thank you for the second of the greatest commandments, which is first to love you with all our heart, Lord, mind, soul, and strength, and then second to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you, God, for privileging us with such a clear purpose in life to glorify you with everything that we do, to worship, walk, work, and witness for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.